This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Uh, Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Warthog Manly Command Center inside the Melbourne Law Studio, 352-325-3938, in the piney woods of North Central Florida, God's country. And we have a beautiful day here in North Central Florida. Uh, we are still a little bit pollen laden. Uh, we have fighting off the pine pollen. Now we got the oak pollen, but uh, out in the pasture here outside the studio, the calves and the mamas are together and everybody's happy. And uh, we've got a great show lined up for you today with a great guest. Uh, you may also, as you know, face chat with me live or uh, go over to the Melon Law hotline at 352-325-3938. And uh, we can uh, converse uh, with you without everybody knowing what you're asking me, but uh, that's your business, as we know. Um, we've been, of course, on the Ward Scott Files um, trying to bring you uh, a good class all the time. With Sometimes we have guests, sometimes it's yours truly, the professor here talking with you. But our metaphor here is that we are a students and professors, and we are looking for the truth, and we're looking for points of view that um, are basically credible and reliable, and we try to bring that Today is no exception. We have a really great guest today, uh, Timothy Head. He is the executive whom I have permission to call Tim, by the way, as the executive director for the Faith and Freedom Coalition. And he's played a key role over the years in creating several legislative bills that have been passed. Uh, landmark federal prison reform bill, referred to as the First Step Act. Uh, he's fighting online sex, sex, uh, sex trafficking, which uh, we know is... Um, uh, something our governor has also expressed uh, some concern about, and um, a lot of meaningful reform in the federal criminal justice system. He's from Baylor University, uh, where he's gotten all sorts of prestigious awards, and plus he's also a lawyer. Um, he's been uh, published all over the place, and uh, uh, too lengthy and too dignified for me to go into in detail here. Atlanta Journal, USA Today, AP News, uh, uh, you name it. Uh, he's got He's got some recognition here. And we're really privileged to have him. We've been trying to put this show together for a while. Um, and we've finally done it. We've finally done it for you. And of course, as you know, uh, this will be archived at our wardscottfiles.com, as well as live right now on YouTube and also uh, right off, off the air, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So uh, you'll be able to listen, watch 24-7, 365, and we will have it archived. So, Tim, what did I leave out, man? Did, um, you were a high jumper in college. I mean, I must have left something out, brother. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I, other than uh, other than I'm uh, uh, now been as of about two weeks ago married for 19 years, which, to be honest with you, I consider to be maybe my uh, my highest accomplishment and my my highest calling probably as a dad of uh, an awesome 14 year old little girl and another awesome nine and a half year old uh, little girl. So uh, so well, that's, that's uh, for sure. <laughs> husband and father is uh, is top of the list for me. Well, there's no question, but what that is a real. And the, the family is the bedrock of the, our society. I'm sure you would agree with me on that. Absolutely. And, uh, we could go off on that for a while and talk about how the government has replaced it. But I don't think that's where we're headed unless that's where you want to go. Um, what are you thinking about right now at your top of your priority list? And we can work down from there. If you have something that you're working on or a challenge you see facing us that you know, your organization and you specifically are involved in, anything you want to take off with there? Well, you know, uh, so <clears throat> pardon me. Your your uh, your pollen comment uh, struck me uh, uh, close to home because I'm uh, I might be sniffling and coughing a little bit this morning because <laughs> of that very reason. But uh, so I, I think um, maybe I'll start briefly about uh, one of the reasons why uh, I think that Faith and Freedom Coalition is uh, is configured well in a in a time like this to kind of engage in in public in, in meaningful public policy conversation and change is because of the way we're built uh, in, in in some ways we're we're uh, like structurally we're basically built kind of like an old 
old uh, labor union. We have kind of the policy side of the equation, and then we also have the grassroots organizing side of the equation for us. And, um, and I think that you really need both in order to uh, to truly effectuate change, not just report on what's happening, you know, somewhere, but actually be able to impact it. And so uh, I say that to say, I think the, the, the 2022 election cycle is, is, is almost where you have to have to start, uh, which is, is part and parcel uh, commentary on, on um, it's both uh, hopeful, I think, uh, in, in the sense that I, I think you can almost uh, guarantee significant uh, conservative pickups in Washington, D.C. We can talk about some states also in a little bit. Um, but uh, but uh, as soon as you say that it's it's encouraging or, or positive to, to see um, almost a guaranteed uh, pickups in D.C., you also have to say, well, the reason why we're going to have these pickups is because uh, of the flailing nature of the first, uh, you know, roughly – uh, 14 or 15 months of, of uh, the Biden administration. So, um, you know, we, we uh, a lot of what we're doing right now is uh, is is kind of finalizing our team to uh, to uh, to head out into about 24 different states that we're going to be targeting this year for uh, U.S. Congress and U.S. Uh, Senate races. Um, you know, we we are structured basically to try to. Um, mobilize Christians, uh, really people of all faiths, but primarily evangelical Christians and, and what we refer to as faithful Catholics, uh, frequent mass attending Catholics. So these are conservative, um, kind of orthodox um, uh, people of, of, uh, of biblical uh, worldview, uh, which, which actually makes up about 37% of the entire electorate. So people that self-identify as either conservative evangelical or conservative Catholic, uh, that's, uh, that's, uh, almost forty percent of the entire electorate, and so uh, so we're we're focusing a lot right now on uh, on pushing uh, pushing messages out to those people, and then when the fall hits, starting in August, uh, we'll be hitting we'll be um, undertaking the largest grassroots campaign, uh, as far as we can tell, probably in in, in American history, actually. Uh, so we kind of fly under the radar because we don't spend our money on on TV ads or um, you know or kind of. Uh, a lot of social media stuff as as much. Uh, we really kind of focused just on on. Uh, I mean, last year, our last cycle in 2020, uh, we knocked on uh, just shy of six million doors, five million nine hundred and ninety five thousand and some change doors, um, and we expect to to surpass seven and a half million doors in those 24 states this year. So, uh, I think that that's uh, that's that's at least a good place to start, and then we can also kind of talk about some legislative things that that are. Uh, sort of percolating on the federal level, there's not quite as much. We're, we're more trying to kind of play defense, so to speak. Um, and uh, but uh, but actually, it's been you know it's been an interesting um, uh, legislative cycle this year and parts of last year on the on the state side. Uh, that's uh, it's, it's usually where where we see the action happen whenever um, the the uh, results in Washington D.C. Or, or the White House particularly go, don't go quite like we had hoped. Um, you know, we kind of toggle. We have uh, 20, uh, 23 different state chapters now across the country, and so um, you know, be it Florida or Georgia or North Carolina or Texas or Iowa, Ohio. Uh, you know, we uh, we look to try to get pretty granular in uh, in public public policy work in times like this. Well, you know, you're ringing uh, the bell here in Florida because we are so fortunate, in our humble opinion, anyway, to have the governor we have, who has taken some pretty strong stands uh, legislatively and has the support of the legislature against the so-called woke uh, movement, uh, which goes under several names, as you know, but es essentially is um, probably antithetical to everything that. Uh, common sense people would be standing for from our point of view. But, you know, we are a, 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 a forum here for all sorts of points of view. But certainly uh, the woke world has caused a lot of collateral damage, at least through the school systems, uh, through the judicial system. Um, and we've been seeing it in permissive judges. We've been seeing it in intrusions into the classroom curriculum. Uh, at local levels and at uh, uh, finally, you know, we've had um, the good fortune to have legislator here, the hue and cry of the parent uh, who has been, uh, you know, kind of uh, frustrated about um, the, you know, the, the, the curriculum um, modifications, if you will, to put it euphemistically, that have occurred without their input. Uh, I am sure, sure you're probably involved in those issues here. 
sometimes they're known as a critical race theory. Uh, sometimes even rear their head as a 1619 project. But um, generally, the whole concept of blaming European white culture for original sin in a country uh, is a false narrative that's ringing all through the media is our humble estimation. So we need to work together. We hope we can build a network as I hear you speaking and I'm so glad you're on the show. Uh, uh, we need to maintain, in my humble opinion, these relationships as we move forward towards the fall and to know how we can supplement each other or publicize each other. So I invite you to stay in touch with Words God Files, anything you want to uh, present, you're welcome to come back on. Uh, because getting the notes out in the bottle sometimes to these other islands, if you will, yeah. uh, don't always get there. You know what I mean, Tim? I do. Uh, so we need all hands on deck here. But um, any, so of hot any of the hot button things I touched that you want to uh, weigh in on, for example, yeah. so uh, I, the family. I, I, yeah. I do. I, I, you know, interestingly enough, so I'm originally from Texas. I, I live in Atlanta, Georgia now. Faith and Freedom Coalition is, is, be is based in uh, – in kind of a suburb of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, we have a, an office in Washington, D.C. that deals with our federal uh, policy. And then uh, I mentioned those uh, those 23 uh, kind of state chapters that we have. Uh, I'm based, uh, based in Atlanta, but I'm originally from Texas. You know, for a long time, uh, Texas, uh, you know, going back certainly until until the uh, kind of mid-90s, uh, Texas has been seen as as uh, as uh, among the large the large states, um, you know, arguably the most conservative state. Um, but I, you know, I, on, on the one hand, I, I think that Texas. Is, I would not say that Texas has regressed as a as a, um, a conservative sort of uh, bastion. Um, but it's been pretty fascinating for me to uh, I, I'm in Tallahassee a decent amount, and certainly do, are doing grassroots things in Florida on a regular basis. It's been fascinating for me to watch over the last, um, you know, 8, 10, 12 years to see Florida um, really uh, uh, bank pretty, uh, pretty strongly um, to the right. And um, not just in, in, in population or we'll, we'll call it either demographics or in, in um, kind of messages, but, uh, but really delivering uh, on public policy, um, which is, is uh not only is it great for the 21 plus million, uh, you know, citizens of, of Florida, but that also is um, it's become a very uh, helpful uh, narrative for me to kind of bring to a lot of other states that, uh, you know, just because you your your state. So I think a lot of a lot of governors in a lot of places, um, what I've found over the years, they kind of like think we're going to be as sort of as conservative as we can you know, in, in, I don't know, in Missouri's or in Ohio's or in, you know, maybe Indiana's or some, you know, some, uh, some kind of um, center right states, but maybe not kind of quote unquote heart, you know, deep red states. Uh, we're going to be as conservative as we can, but we, you know, we still kind of have to play to the middle a little bit, so to speak, and um, either for electoral purposes or for corporate purposes or what have you. Um, and, and, um, you're really the last, I would argue, two governors they've 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 shown in Florida that you can actually, uh, you know, you can actually move pretty pretty strongly to the right, pretty um, unapologetically to the right, and uh, the economic uh, your economic engine won't slow. And matter of fact, it, it very well may accelerate, and um, and you can you can pass good policy, good good legislation. And, you know, I have to have to talk about you. You mentioned kind of the the um, a lot of education policy, uh, of course, you know, one of the kind of um, uh, third rail, so to speak, of of, uh, of state level public policy normally is is on school choice. You know, things related to either vouchers or, you know, I think in uh, in Florida, they refer to them as opportunity scholarships and whatnot. Um, that uh, the, the, the notion of letting parents, letting money follow the child and let parents make, a, make decisions um, is uh, it's actually uh, showing to, to work better, not only for, for systems and for kids, um, but, uh, but interestingly enough, it's also showing some really, some really significant political uh, benefits. And so, uh, you know, as more and more um, families across Florida are, are opting into um, into these uh, these school choice uh, programs and moving uh, kids from failing schools into either uh, more successful schools and or um, schools that are that are kind of 
um, better aligned for them uh, in terms of kind of worldview, uh, at least hopefully not adverse or averse to, to their worldview, um, you're, you're seeing <clears throat> even in, um, in minority populations, uh, you know, African-American, one, one, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're aware, but a lot of uh, uh, the major reason, uh, ironically, why uh, DeSantis did as well as he did uh, in his first, uh, first gubernatorial race um, was because uh, his opponent, who, uh, of course, is going to be completely in league with, uh, with teachers unions, um, adamantly said, basically, I'm going to walk out, walk back and eventually phase out um, our, our opportunity scholarships here in Florida. And uh, DeSantis said, not only are we not going to do that, but we're actually going to get more. Uh, we're going to give more uh, choice and more opportunities for, uh, for kids. And uh, roughly 31,000 um, uh, minority families that, were, that are already engaged in, in school choice um, voted against um, a, uh, the, the Democrat candidate, um, in, in that context. And so, you know, we're normally in a, in a, um, actually Florida tracks pretty careful, pretty closely with the national elections. Uh, we're generally about 13, 14%, uh, I'm sorry, about, uh, 11 to, to 13% of African-Americans would have voted for the Republican, uh, candidate in, um, in, in Florida, uh, he wound up getting almost 30% of the African-American vote. DeSantis got almost 30% of the African-American vote, literally almost triple the, uh, the normal amount because so many, uh, especially African-American moms, were like, uh, you know, our, economic, our, our educational system is, is not just failing, but practically victimizing my kid. So, uh, you know, I think that we can actually see um, uh, uh, their, their Florida has become a case study across the country on how, a conservative policy actually working, not just talked about, but actually effectuated, uh, not only can genuinely help kids and families, but also can uh, can pay political dividends. We're talking with Timothy Head, Executive Director for the Faith and Freedom Coalition. And uh, I just want to um, piggyback on something you said, uh, Tim, that um, DeSantis has shown uh, that you don't have to be cautious or nervous when confronting the woke uh, <coughs> point of view. Uh, for example, right now he is in a head-to-head -head, uh, contest with Disney. Uh, you may be tracking this, you may be aware of this, but Disney has, DeSantis responded to the parental need for just K through the third grade to stop indoctrinating kids before they're ready about sexuality. Let's go back to the three R's. Let's go back to what we're supposed to be doing in those primary years where we're laying the basis for thinking and the numbers and the alphabet and all that. And, you know, and that's all that is that basically that's the bill. But what the media has done is has called it the don't say gay bill and gay's not even in the bill. And this is the type of thing that we try to straighten out on shows like this and having guests like you to set the record straight, it's not even in the bill. And yet, uh, DeSantis has publicly said, as you probably know, to the CEO of Disney, you just got had by the woke uh, generation and you didn't need to have be had. And, and so settle down because we're not going to back down. I think that is what we have here in leadership that is so hard to find in the country. Um, real people who will take a stand Principle stand, not radical, but common sense stand. And we need more of that to the extent that we have the ability to proliferate that we ought to work on it. <laughs> I, uh, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, let me just pause real quick to say uh, how much I, I enjoy forums like yours that, you know, we're going to be with each other for a little bit this morning. And that's a great opportunity uh, to have a, a slightly more um, nuanced conversation, right? Most media. Uh, media um, uh, platforms or hits right now are basically 100 and you know 90 to 120 seconds of of kind of lighting stuff on fire and and uh, you know a, a food fight essentially. So it's great to be able to have um, a little more protracted, prolonged conversation. Um, and uh, and that also not only does it give a better chance for dialogue for uh, you know for folks like us, but um, you know hopefully for uh, for listeners and, and viewers to. Uh, I find that kind of podcast consumers uh, are are um, more thoughtful. We'll just say more nuanced uh, uh, thinkers and and uh, and and doers. 
Um, so I want to say, you know, on that front, um, the reason why a major reason why the um, the CEO of Disney uh, feels this sort of um, knee jerk compulsion is, uh, I, I think, uh, is a very interesting and telling moment right now in American political history and, and corporate history, for that matter. Um, <clears throat> the political left is is excellent at um, what I would refer to as, uh, you know, sometimes I, I kind of conceptualize it like uh, we on the right, you know, hope to be able to uh, to, to kind of control the water, um, the water flow in a hose. Uh, say we have a 10 foot, we're talking about maybe a 10 foot hose to control a, a water, the water water flow of a 10 foot hose. Uh, we on the right say we need, you know, we need a we need a really sound, solid um, uh, 10-foot hose that we need to work on. Well, the left, the way that they've actually figured out is, uh, is, is um, they say, we actually don't need to control uh, all 10 feet of a 10-foot hole to, uh, hose to, con to, uh, to control or at least influence um, the flow of water. Uh, we actually just need to be able to kink certain, uh, you know, one or two-inch, you know, kind of... Uh, um, caveats of of the hose and so they put all of their resources significant resources but still limited resources on on you know one or two kinks and, and you know as as anybody knows if you just kink a, a 10-foot hose just for you know for three inches you actually stop stop the water flow i use that analogy to say you know in the context of of a disney or you know, um, I mean, where to where to start at this point, where to stop at this point on the corporate side. It's not that everybody that works at Disney wants um, to be working for a, uh, you know, for a, a liberal um, uh, activist corporation. Um, it's that uh, that a handful of employees uh, and their HR director and their general counsel are very uh, very sympathetic to these kinds of issues, and um, because they they do um, they uh, obviously employ um, uh, uh, same sex attracted people. Um, even if you know if they have a hundred thousand employees, they may only employ twenty five hundred you know uh, same sex attracted people, homosexual folks. Uh, but the the HR and general counsel are so sort of. Um, driven on any any given decision on the the kind of sensitivities of that you know two or three percent of their workforce that um if you will they're able to kind of kink that hose even though you know again it's only a small percentage of of uh of folks that actually work there so you know i think what we among other things it's important for all of us to start to to understand that um, I mean, this is, you know, when, when Ben Carson was running for president back in 2015 in the early part of 16, uh, he was he would talk sort of, uh, you know, regularly about how political correctness is actually what is going to undo our society. This this notion that that nobody anywhere can be offended by any statement or any action. And um, and it's that's a complicated uh, thing to do in a in a country of 330 million people that's you know, uh, a truly global international uh, um, uh, culture at this point. So I, I think that, that DeSantis does a really, really incredible job of, uh, of governing, like you said, through, to, to common sense kind of policy, um, but not, not necessarily messaging in a hostile, uh, you know, um, kind of going out of his way to be, to be antagonistic or offensive to people, but he also is not immobilized. You know, so he's saying, look, this is what we're going to do because it makes sense for the overwhelming majority of of, uh, of Floridians. And, you know, I'm willing to kind of think about some accommodations for, for others that don't fit into kind of every single uh, mainstream concept or structure here. But that doesn't mean that we're just going to eviscerate all uh, our culture or our mainstream systems. Well, you know, we're really talking about, I think you would agree, we're talking about leadership. And uh, it has been so difficult to find true leaders who are not, you know, the chameleon, the chameleon type leader we can find all over the place. You know, uh, when they're for war, they're for war. And when they're for peace, they're for peace. And, you know, Biden seems to be a quintessential example of that. It's easy to go back and examine his Senate record. But the problem is nobody seems to uh, be educated enough or want to know enough to actually examine the total picture of these candidates. And we've got a 
uh, a press that's uh, complicit in all this. And then we got a university system that is overwhelmingly involved in this messaging too. And, you know, I was a liberal arts major. Um, I, I was a research professor. Uh, you know, I, I could not imagine uh, doing anything but helping <coughs> students uh, with critical thinking and, and good, clear writing. You know, I wouldn't dream of putting some ideology in for the sake of the ideology. And yet I can give you, I'm sure you know, example after example after example of that going on right now. So uh, we're talking with Timothy Head, or Tim, as I call him, and, and we're going to have a lot of things to talk. We're going to about five minutes have our break coming up. Well, I want to get over to, if you can also, uh, some since you have been doing a lot of research on sex trafficking, your organization, uh, the questions and the answers that the Supreme Court candidate has given and ask you if you have any opinion about that. Uh, it seems they've been invasive or they've been, I, I don't know. I, I, I like to talk to an expert like you who's been around this subject and ask you if you've assessed her answers at all. Well, <clears throat> I'll, I'll certainly speak to, to her own answers, but I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll kind of scale back broad, more broadly first to say, um, you know, if you remember in, um, in the, our, our most recent um, debacle known as a, uh, a, a Supreme Court uh, nomination hearing, um, when, uh, when th I guess the, the, the next most, most recent, so during Kavanaugh's, not during Coney Barrett's, um, there was, a, I thought, a very prescient moment uh, once, you know, we were we were 95 percent, 99 percent of the way through the process when when the bomb got dropped by Feinstein. And uh, <clears throat> the, uh, after a couple of days of, of just, you know, total insanity, um, Lindsey Graham made a statement uh, in the midst of uh, kind of during one of his right before one of one of his questions that uh, I thought synopsizes the the whole process of of the supreme court right now he said uh he turned to kind of his colleagues on the on the political left and he said uh he said what i'm so dis disappointed with through this process and you know at that point the last three days is all you guys care about is power and god help us all if you ever get it and um you know they clearly weren't trying to kind of like uh uh probe into any jurisprudential philosophy or, or, or you know, specific uh, uh, holdings or, or um, you know, writings of, of, uh, of Judge Kavanaugh at the time. Uh, they were just trying to eviscerate him. And, you know, if they could find one square centimeter in his body to, to focus in on, that's what they were going to do. Well, the flip side of that's also the case whenever a candidate is, is moving into, uh, into to being nominated, that, um I mean, the whole thing is just duck and weave and, you know, survive into the into the 12th round and uh, and basically don't give an answer to anything. So, you know, the reason why she uh, at this point is is un, I wouldn't say unable. I would just say unwilling to uh, to answer a simple question like, um, you know, what is a woman is um, is because she is just trying to kind of survive, if you will, and and uh, and 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 not commit to anything. Um, so that when she she is in power, obviously it's a lifetime appointment. Uh, at that point, you know the the horse is out of the barn, so to speak, and and she can uh, say and do whatever she wants to do, um, you know, for the remaining uh, tenure of her of her career, if not life. Um, so you know, I think one of the 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 really challenging situations here is you know, and when when numbers are what they are, I mean, this is they're they're razor thin numbers, but numbers still are 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 the numbers that they are. Um, unless we can find a couple of of, uh, of Democrats who are willing to uh, to kind of buck against their own establishment, you know, it, it's uh, this has to kind of fall under the rubric of of the quote unquote consequences of elections. Um, but uh, <clears throat> I think that we're we're kind of dangerously close to uh, to weaponizing um, the Supreme Court, and and um, you know, uh, the the hard thing is. We very. Uh, it's not uncommon for us to find center right uh, kind of constitutionalists and conservatives who are willing to uh, to, to to depart from time to time from uh, from orthodoxy or, or you know partisanship for sure uh, to side with the left on certain kind of nuanced issues. 
the remarkable thing is how how rarely you ever see that departure from anybody from the left. You know that uh, that that you know even if uh, an Alito or a Roberts, you know uh, maybe a maybe a Gorsuch or a Kavanaugh might be conservative eighty nine percent of the time. Um, you know a, a Sotomayor is going to be uh, progressive or liberal one hundred percent of the time, and uh, and that's I think where where we're probably um, configured. Uh, and, and I also have to pause and say, I know you need to get a break, but I, I, I find it ironic and, and a little uh, sad, frankly, that, um, you know, the first African-American woman that's going to be on uh, probably be on the court um, doesn't doesn't acknowledge that she's a woman. <laughs> uh, I actually think it's great that we're having, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, at this point, demographically, uh, we have just over 50 percent of women in, in uh, the United States of America. I think it's great to be you know for have to have women in leadership i think we i think both parties should have uh more more women in leadership but i also think it's it's ironic when um when women move into leadership uh, roles and and can't even uh, sort of like sort out that the fact that they are a, indeed a woman um and and that doesn't go to her own sort of mental capacity of course i mean she's a very talented capable uh um jurist and thinker for that matter um, it's because she's she's kind of reading the script uh, from a, from a, a political uh, group that is saying um, we don't acknowledge gender <laughs> or at least you know uh, orthodox binary gender um, that, which I, I think is really uh, unfortunate because uh, there actually has been uh, tremendous progress made I think in the last thirty or forty years to this effect. Well stated, Timothy Head. Uh... We are speaking with Timothy Head. Tim here, who's the executive director of the Faith Coalition uh, and Freedom Coalition. And uh, we're going to have to take a break here in a minute for our sponsors and our, our, our uh, uh, donators who really keep us going. We appreciate that so much. There's a couple of questions piling up here, as you might imagine. One of the things you can we can be talking about, of course, you and I will be able to talk when we're off uh, on the advertising, is uh, this double standard you just referred to. Now they're trying to get... Uh, Clarence Thomas to recuse himself because of the text messages his wife evidently said about the so-called January 6th insurrection. Uh, maybe we can talk about that. We got that question coming in. Be right back in a moment on Ward Scott Files uh, after a break for our contributors and our sponsors. Stay tuned. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. The Ward Scott Files Gold Sponsors are On the Spot Dry Cleaners, Okita America Martial Arts, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend, Freddie, at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. If your brains were lard, you couldn't grease a small frying pan. <laughs> to call you stupid would be an insult to stupid people. Octone, octone. The papers are not in order. Step out of the line and report to the inspection station. You're going to search your belongings. Much now. That warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, Help me! Help! Help! Welcome back to Ward Scott Files. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Command Center in the piney pollinated woods of north central Florida and God's country, of course. And we're talking. Uh, with Timothy Head, whom I refer to with his permission as Tim, who is the executive director of the Faith and Freedom Coalition, 
which plays a key role in lots of legislative bills and actions. And we're talking about the importance coming up, of course, of the fall 2022 election. And specifically over the break, uh, we chatted about one more thing we want to talk about, at least for the second here uh, about the Supreme Court is, you know, clearly the candidate right now, as Tim has said, is reading the script of the of, of the left and being evasive about certain answers because, you know, uh, that's the style and that's the fashion right now. But at the same time, the left is very good at this, I would say, uh, Tim. They're attack dogs. Their destructive army, if you will, never sleeps. Um, they ferreted out a message from Clarence Thomas's wife, apparently, to Mark Meadows, if I recall correctly, uh, about the so-called January 6th uh, insurrection, which wasn't even an insurrection uh, until they called it one, at least. And now they want to have, should it ever come before uh, the Supreme Court, Thomas recuse himself on anything. We don't even know if it's going to make it to the Supreme Court. But this intimidation uh, by the left uh, to deactivate critical thinkers who might say Tom, Terrence uh, Thomas is a quintessential example uh, ahead of time. It's amazing. I mean, we don't have pick up on this idea. We have these five parties. And then if we will, let's segue off of that is what do the conservative parties have that can counter what these liberal parties do? So that's a good question. And <clears throat> pardon me, I was, uh, you know, we were just kind of alluding to uh, within the Republican Party, but, you know, I was talking specifically in the context of the Senate. Um, you know, you've got to, uh, got to try to find commonality uh, within the different strains of, of conservative thought. And, um, and right now I would say the, the, the kind of three prevailing, uh, this is an oversimplification, but you kind of have to, to have a rubric like this to, um, to, to think through how to um, categorize things. Uh, basically, at this point, you have uh, uh, libertarians who, um, for the most part, really sort of uh, reluctantly um, participate in the Republican Party that, you know, they, they really kind of think, A, we should be our own party, and B, there shouldn't maybe be no parties. Uh, um, um, so uh, you kind of have this this small uh, libertarian uh, wing, and then the, the uh, I would say basically the two, you could probably even say three other other um, factions or portions of the Republican Party right now are are social conservatives, um, fiscal conservatives, and are, are, are kind of pro-business uh, conservatives, and then uh, defense conservatives. Um, uh, so you can see there's three or four, and 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 different people kind of um, uh, rarely do people just categorize just as one, but um, but there are, there are kind of different schools of thought. The bit the the biggest sort of schism I would say is. Uh, a lot of the fiscal conservatives, especially kind of, you know, business folks from like the Northeast or the far West, um, you know, tend to basically just say, you know what, why don't we just drop all of this social stuff? Because that's actually you know, our only kind of, uh, you know, true blemish on our on our reputation or record here is is this controversial kind of, you know, these social issues of life and marriage and religious liberty. And, you know, a, a lot of those, those kind of fiscal conservatives would just say, we could just stick to like you know, monetary policy, tax policy, trade policy, um, you know, getting everybody as much money as possible, then we could win, you know, uh, 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 elections going away. Well, uh, <clears throat> you know, that actually, uh, you know, I, I agree with sound mon monetary, you know, fiscal and, and uh, tax policy. Um, I do believe that, uh, that there are a handful of, of social issues that are so critical, I think, to a society, any society, but especially our society, that we can't just sort of be, you know, uh, silent and, uh, and deaf and dumb on these issues, uh, you know, clearly life being one of those. So what, uh, what, we're, what we're seeing right now is at least those, those kind of three or four factions can agree on um, uniting against certain things that what the political left is trying to do, especially as it relates to the court and the, the radicalization and ultimately weaponization of the court against uh, anybody that basically disagrees with, you know, that, that would be um, ideology once the left gets there. So what you, what we really have to be uh, very cognizant of is 
um, uh, there are kind of undercurrents of trying to expand the court. So, you know, uh, uh, listeners might have heard of this this concept of court packing. Uh, so, um, you know, originally there were five uh, members of the, of the U.S. Supreme Court that have been as many as 13. There's obviously nine right now. There have been nine for a number of years. What we've actually found on the political left is, um, you know, I'm, I, as a kind of former sports guy, and I, I still watch a lot of sports, the way I kind of analogize one of the major strategies on the left is we're going to play this game as long as we can win this game. But as soon as we stop winning this game, we're going to change the rules. Um, you know, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's similar to like, you know, we're losing the basketball game and you're making too many three pointers. And so at, at the, you know, at halftime, we're actually, instead of playing better defense against the three pointer, we're going to, we, we, we actually think from now on basketball, the three pointers need to be from 35 feet. Or, <laughs> um, so that's where we are right now. Right. Is wait a minute, you know, whoever said there's only supposed to be nine, uh, judges on the court. I got an idea. How about 17? <laughs> uh, and 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 by the way, those extra eight that would you know that would come about, we need those to come about like in the next oh nine months. Can we can we get those done really quickly uh, before we either lose the Senate or two and a half years from now when we will lose the White House? Can we do that real quick? But uh, if we lose the Senate or we lose the White House and we talk about court packing, then all of a sudden you are a racist you know, misogynistic hate monger because you want 17 people on the court where I, you know, American orthodoxy is actually only nine. How dare you? Um, so, <clears throat> so that's, you know, this, this is kind of a pot meat kettle, kettle a little bit like, you know, back to that Lindsey Graham uh, uh, quote, all they really want is yeah. power. Yeah. And may God have mercy on us all if they ever yeah. get it. Well, you know, right now, at least we've been able to kind of like buttress or, or uh, you know, slow their, uh, a lot of their legislative kind of permanent action. And we're, we're you know, we're back to kind of governing with the pen, uh, a pen and a cell phone, so to speak, to, to reference, you know, uh, President Obama's uh, allusion during a, 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 um, one of his, <laughs> one of his uh, uh, you know, addresses to the Congress uh, when he was in the, when he didn't have, when his, his, his radical ideas had so lost the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House that he just said, he kind of threw a temper tantrum and said, no, I'll just do this by myself from now on, by golly. So, Well, it certainly is a, 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 a vast discussion, which uh, uh, one should be constantly vigilant about, it seems to me. Um, these 2022 elections coming up, uh, what do you have already, so to speak, on the stove that you feel is ready to be uh, applied as a tactic if you don't uh, you don't need to reveal secrets and all that um, <laughs> is there an approach the coalition has taken or kind of a strategy all seem to be coming around to yeah well uh, you know at this point uh, so bear in mind um, you know the, the way I kind of think of of, of any any election especially uh, particularly a national election like this um, Elections are, are, they function a lot like a battery, you know, like the, the energy of the battery actually is driven by, by the, the tension, the, the, the interplay of a, of a positive and a negative charge, right? So um, the, the, that notion uh, exists right now. So not only do, do conservatives need to be for something, but um, the, the energy also is kind of uh, amplified or, or um, magnified by um the the really failed efforts or you could argue first of all lack of lack of efforts but then also failure on on those uh those efforts of the biden administration and the um you know so ironically they kind of um if you remember even when he got into office uh he and some other kind of surrogates of his commented about you know won the popular vote it's you know won the election you know the electoral college won the popular vote so i actually you know we believe that we've been um that we're we're governing with a mandate, right? Well, I mean, you couldn't get much more split than what right you know what the United States is at the moment. I mean, this is you know almost every election kind of boils down to like a fifty point five to a forty nine point five kind of national electoral. Uh, uh, and so he he shows up and he says, uh, no, 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 by all means, you know that what the what the country really wants is a radical leftist agenda. Um, and so, uh, so he, he, a starts to try to kind of, uh, you know, pivot because, you know, Lord only knows in the midst of COVID shutdowns and, uh, 
and a, a recession that's that's continuing to careen. Hopefully, it, uh, we're able to to pull that you know out of it, the death spiral before we get into a, a depression. Depression, but before we we deal with any either uh, you know immigration emergencies. Um, uh, kind of um, uh, safety, security, uh, uh, you know, issues and economic challenges. He says the environment is actually the most pressing thing, and 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 you know, facing Americans today, it's an existential threat. And uh, you know, in the next uh, two or three hundred years, you know, oceans might rise uh, half an inch, and and you know, um, all all life as we know it might, might shift. So we actually need carbon. You know, we need emissions regulation immediately. Um, uh, and we need to pull out of Afghanistan because of really complicated situations. And, and let's just, uh, you know, pretend like Ukraine doesn't exist by all means. And, um, you know, why don't we uh, uh, shut down trade, you know, for most intents and purposes and, and uh, completely uh, wage war on fossil fuels, uh, even though that's that's both a national security issue as well as a workforce uh, economic development issue. So, you know, what we're, what, we're, what we're seeing is if we can just remind uh, the American people that what you, what you said that you wanted or, you know, ostensibly was um, a kind of a return to normalcy, if you will, what you actually got, you know, let's, let's, let's elect Uncle Joe and, and, and he'll be kind of nice and, you know, tell funny stories and, um, and kind of keep it between the lines. When Uncle Joe actually showed up, he actually wasn't Uncle Joe anymore from the 90, 1990s and early 2000s. He was, you know, just an extension of the Obama uh, 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 <laughs> machine and, and uh, electoral um, uh, kind of, I mean, they're, they're very, very mafioso in a lot of regards, right? This is Chicago right. politics. Right. And, um, and so... Uh, you know, he shows up and he just starts kind of whacking people's knees and, and uh, you know, taking people out behind the, uh, the woodshed a little bit. And uh, America's like, you know, those sort of persuadable three to five percent were like, what happened to Uncle Joe here? I thought that's what we were talking about. The, the reality is there's so much money from technology and, and media and entertainment right now coming into um, into um, basically into federal politics that. Um, you know, that's, that's who, that's who kind of writes the script, no pun, uh, fully intended. Uh, so Biden is just, you know, he's, he's reading Google, Microsoft, uh, you know, Facebook, Twitter, uh, scripts, as well as, you know, MGM, Sony, Paramount, you know, Viacom, you know, et cetera, uh, uh, scripts, um, which are a radically left and b by the way if you kind of you know you and your listeners will do a little digging you'll you'll also clearly learn who some of the co uh you know significant investors and co-owners of of some of these companies are coming out of uh not only um asia writ large and not just chinese investors writ large but even specifically literally you know alter egos of the chinese government are uh, is you know our, our corporate um uh shareholders uh, controlling many times shareholders of a lot of these studios and, and uh, media companies so is it it should be really no shock to any of us from a corporate perspective that um that a lot of the the left-leaning um media outlets um also have a significant little flavor of of uh, propaganda from uh, pro Chinese uh, uh, um, uh, perspectives coming in. So, uh, for us, what we're uh, kind of bent on is we have we have amassed a, a list, a database of uh, about forty two million known uh, Christian conservative voters, and those spread from coast to coast, of course. And uh, our job is basically to keep them informed on what's happening in uh, in American politics today, and then to engage them when the time comes, so that they don't sit on the sidelines and either, you know, uh, atrophy, kind of, you know, just sit and watch, or, um, you know, some of them, you know, certainly are, are a, a small but significant uh, percentage of those are disillusioned. Uh, because of some uh, some anomalies, you know, during the electoral process in 2020, we need to make sure that uh, legislatively that we've fixed uh, a lot of those uh, kind of plug the holes, so to speak, of the dam, and then we need those those um, voters of of faith uh, to reengage in big big ways. Well, I think that's very well said. Once again, talking with uh, Timothy, head of the 
uh, of freedom and faith, faith and freedom coalition. Um, you know, um, um, I agree with what you've said, of course, and I know many of our listeners and viewers do, but um, putting it all together, stitching together in a united effort is what I think will be the challenge because oddly enough, you and I sit here and we agree on a lot of things. We see things a lot of the way. I think you're a, a you know, good thinker. We, we value that. But I have tried to, and I'm sure maybe you have, I wouldn't say argue. I would say just talk to a liberal, okay? And they don't listen. They don't hear. Uh, they don't care about the information. I'm generalizing, but I'm I'm not really far off here, okay? Yeah. Uh, this is not just a stereotype. This is a profile, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and they don't hear you. They don't. It's a religion to them. The climate, uh, the chicken little sky is falling. Uh, this is, they really have taken this on as the most significant thing. I mean, there's this uh, crazy conversation out of Ukraine. Well, you know, how's it going to, how, well, oh my God, the war is going to complicate climate change. I mean, not, nothing to say about the people or the children. You know, it's, a, it's an amazing group of people. And so I don't, my point is, I don't count them out. I think you have to treat them as you would an adder fanged as Hamlet says, or realize that the rattlesnake can still kill you even though its head's cut off. Um, these people will show up come fall. And so the target of whom you can affect, the target of whom you can change, the tip is 5149 thing is where I think the real work needs to be refined. And hopefully you guys are on that because it's going to be a few percentage points. I don't care how bad it gets. Gas could get to $10 a gallon. You know what the left will say? Thank goodness. Finally, we'll get electric cars. That's the way they look at it. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, so let, you know, this, uh, this, this is actually, uh, it's an interesting and can be a little bit complicated. Um, the <clears throat> straight politics, um, uh, political uh, strategy and activism, um, I, I think it's important for us to kind of uh, uh, distinguish or differentiate is is really an exercise in identification, um, and um, and I, I share your your frustration uh, on on um, efforts to try to persuade uh, or, or educate people. Um, you know, ironically or, or maybe not ironically, um, in uh, during kind of the Trump administration and and shortly thereafter. Actually, had family members, not not immediate family, but but um, but fairly immediate family, cousins, aunts and uncles, um, who uh, for you know for years have differed, <laughs> have differed with me on on kind of ideological or, or you know sometimes even religious uh, kind of worldview questions, and that that kind of uh, parlayed over into into uh, the realm of politics. Uh, but you know we were we were generally able to get along. And, uh, and I, you know, where you're going. <laughs> my, my wife and I have been very, I mean, obviously, whenever you're kind of at Thanksgiving meals and stuff like that, and I and you do what I do and you are who I who I am, it's it's a bit of an elephant, no pun intended, in the, in the room, <laughs> you know, like everybody's talking about, hey, what's about to happen or what just happened in the election? And everybody's like. Well, Tim wasn't just like watching on TV and was you know, investing $40 million into this. And the rest of us, you know, work at our, our local bank or whatever. Uh, so, um, you know, so several of them were just ultimately furious and basically cut the, cut the relationship off. And uh, I thought it was always ironic, like um, that, that the one that theoretically is the most sort of engaged and, and you know, strongly opinionated on this uh, maintained relationships with people that he disagreed with, but the ones that he disagreed with cut the relationship off with him. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, because yes. they didn't want to listen, and frankly, because they were nervous to bring something up, because they were, you know, probably in these contexts, nervous that I would uh, be persuasive or compelling to them. So we just didn't want to talk about it, but I just don't want to talk to you anymore or anybody that, <laughs> that's, you know, kind of in your side of the family. All this to say, Politics is about finding people who either completely or largely agree with you and and communicating with them, uh, like arming them, inspiring them, you know, giving in information as well as inspiration, and then 
mobilizing them, telling them exactly when to do what we need done. So that's politics in a, in a nutshell. So for a political strategist and people that like run national or you know, gubernatorial Senate campaigns, it's about identification. But then in, in a sense, you kind of move into the political offseason, quote unquote, and you got maybe, you know, if that lasts for four months out of every 22, you know, out of every 24 month cycle, then you move into this kind of 20 month period where you're still engaging, quote unquote, your people, the identified people, but you're hopefully trying to kind of, you know, um, educate or, or uh, do some outreach to people who may be persuadable, that, that all important kind of persuadable which is a shrinking number, by the way, uh, across the country, which is why everybody's trying to find new voters, uh, right? People who are, uh, and, and the left, basically, the way they do it is they try to find un, unengaged, you know, otherwise fairly disengaged, um, and, and what you might refer to as low information voters. We don't want people with opinions. We want people who just are sort of a warm body and, uh, and we'll tell them what to think. Very malleable. They can be shaped. You know. But uh, but on the right, it's uh, it's that's less the case. You actually find that most uh, voters on the political right are are quite educated. And um, but but you know the the trick to that though is they have a lot of like nuanced opinions, which is why you know we talked a little bit about the the four political parties on the on the right. On the left, it's 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 actually quite a bit simpler. Uh, they're they're the split, if you will, on the left is actually really on ethnic. Uh, uh, around ethnic grounds, and um, and you know you have a lot of of uh, kind of um, classic liberals that really do want to kind of like hear hear everybody out and entertain. You know these are kind of like nineteen ten you know learned hand kind of uh, kind of uh, liberals that uh, uh, what the ACLU originally was you know one hundred and twenty years ago, uh, and then you have a lot of of, of um, Kind of part, you know, hyper partisan power power uh, brokers that couldn't care less about what you or I or you know or another Democrat had to say. There's just power. This is just about power. Uh, so I, I would just say for us, you know, our our exercise is constantly very um, um, very proactively seeking out the people who uh, who do agree with us, uh, quote unquote, through a multitude of different. Uh, uh, media uh, kind of uh, venues or, or um, mediums and 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 engaging them and bringing them onto the team. If you already agree with this, come onto the team. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we can, we, there are times that we can have the, the more uh, pensive conversations about statistics and, you know, logical arguments and, and constitutional and, and philosophical rightness, if you will. Uh, but you actually find that those are, those are kind of a uh, few and far between. Well, you also pointed out something that we we're going to run out of time, unfortunately, and maybe we can revisit each other later as we get closer to the fall. I love it. And that is when you begin to publicly present your strategy. Um, you know, that timing is very important because I've learned if you do it too early, they just smear you. They diffuse you. They attack it. They undermine it. But if you can sneak up on them and time that thing to where they don't really have enough time to counter you that effectively, Oh, uh, there's an art to that. <laughs> there really is. There, there is a, an art and, and, um, and by the way, actually a little bit of a science to it. Um, so, you know, um, you, you, uh, your, your readers might, uh, might, might be intrigued to, to go do some of their own uh, um, research into uh, dis disinformation campaigns uh, by a lot of intelligence communities across the world that uh, <laughs> a lot of folks have realized that it's actually more uh, more effective to have a really compelling PR strategy than to have a tank. Yes, sir. Well, Tim, it's really been great talking with you. We're out of time. Stay in touch. We've got your link up. Uh, we'll get back together again, hopefully, in a few months. If we get closer, be sure to include us in your uh, media contacts and we can help get the message out. And by then, we'll have a lot more questions that have developed. But I think we, uh, we really uh, covered in depth something that um, podcasting can do. My friends here in our class today that uh, really is not very easy to do in the newspaper uh, and particularly in the media in general because it seems to be such a common narrative. Um, but we plug away and we keep putting the notes in the bottle and we know somewhere on the other island they're being picked up and read. So thanks so much, Tim, for coming by and uh, we'll be in touch and uh, you know how to get a hold of us if you need us. And we appreciate you showing up on the Ward Scott Files. Hey. Tomorrow we'll have a great show. Hopefully we'll be talking about some of the local things we have unearthed with uh, 
of the voting world here locally and the implications it has for the state. So I'll be advertising that a little bit later on in the day, and hopefully we'll be putting that show together uh, later on today. So have a great day. And uh, Tim, thanks so much. And uh, keep up the good work in Atlanta. We've got viewers here from Atlanta who are so frustrated about Georgia, they could jump out a window. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me, Ward. God bless. Okay, you too. Warthog Command Center out.